whenever I fly into town, um, I love coming in at night. You come in at night, and it seems like forever that you're able to see the lights of the Metroplex glimmering, and, and, and you, just, you just take that in, and you kind of get a, a, an idea of the scope, the, the, the largeness of the city that we live in. Um, sometimes maybe it's, it's, it's uh, in a crowded mall, you know, around Christmas time, or, or maybe it's on the parking lot they call 635, where you're just surrounded by people and cars, and you just get this idea of how many souls are here. And sometimes, in my, I guess in my more spiritual moments, I, I, I think, how many of those souls know the Lord? How many of those souls don't know the Lord? How many of those souls are struggling in life? How many of those souls feel lonely? How many of those souls are not connected to a spiritual family and just kind of adrift? And I think about the mission that God has for us. I think about um, what God is calling us into, how He's placed us so strategically in, 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 in a center of ideas, in a center of, of technology, in a center of influence, essentially, here in Dallas, Texas. Um, I mean, they make TV shows about this place. Um, and I, I just think God has a big, big mission, and He wants us to be part of it. And that gets me excited, and, and we're talking about that here. Um, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know we're talking about dream power. We're talking about... Um, dreaming again as a congregation, opening our eyes to see where is it that God is at work? Where is it that God wants to send us? What is it that God has going on already that He wants us to join? What is it that God wants us to come up with something new? Who are those people that God wants us to reach? Because He loves every one of them. He loves loves those who speak English. He loves those who speak Mandarin. He loves those who are here legally. He loves those who aren't here legally. God loves people and we are to be the arms and feet of Jesus and that is exciting because there's so many possibilities here in the Metroplex there's a museum of trains here in the US and it's got all sorts of memorabilia from from bygone days when when the best way to get across the country was on a train it's got i mean they have they have cabooses and sleeping cars and dining cars and all this kind of stuff and and they actually in 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 one of the displays they have this giant authentic steam locomotive steam engine the thing i don't even know how much it weighs but but in front of it it's got this little plaque and it's got all those boring kind of museum details on it like it here's the gross tonnage here is the pressure of the of the cauldron when the thing is running uh here's the length here's the height here's how many wheels it has here's you know all that kind of stuff but the most interesting thing on on the plaque there in front of the engine is is the last thing it says is is that 96 percent of of the energy that that locomotive that that engine generated 96 percent was used to move the locomotive itself so heavy to get it going. Only 4% was left over to pull the rest of the train cars. Interesting, isn't it? You know, I think some t- I, I, when I think about that, I think how many churches are like that? Where it's like 4%, you know, are, are praying the prayers. 4% are pulling the weight, are doing the ministry. And there's so much untapped potential in so many places. And I know that God wants for every person 
to be used in his kingdom. We all have different roles. We're going to do different things. But everybody is important. At Preston Crest, every single person is important. As I was thinking about it this week and thinking about us moving forward, I was thinking, what about the person that's watching on streaming this morning that, that is basically a shut-in? What about the person who can't physically, because of, because of their age, because of infirmity, they can't get out of their house? And I thought, you know, they may be the most important people moving forward. Their faith and their prayers may cause the seas to open before us, may cause the mountains to move. Everybody is important in the kingdom of God. Every ministry is important. One of the things I think that, and we started talking about this a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that can cause congregations to drift, thinking about that 96% or that 4%, how does that happen? One of the things that happens in our culture, we talked about this, is we are a consumer-driven culture. I mean, we are a consumer-driven culture. Like none other on the face of planet Earth in all of history, America is a... I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and I said, you know, it's hard for us to see just as it's hard for a fish to see the water around them. And we were so immersed in it. We were so surrounded by it. It's the, it's the air that we breathe, this consumer-driven culture that says... Um, I have needs, and the world exists out there to meet my needs. Different products, different services, and, and, and that's, that's what we're told. That's what we're, from, from the cradle to the grave in America, that, that's the mentality that we have. Unfortunately, you know where I'm going with this, right? Unfortunately, we can sometimes bring that into the church, right? I mean, we can. It's easy to do. And so we start evaluating the music. You know, I didn't like the song choice this morning. We sit in judgment. We, we are the judges, you know, and I didn't like that. I would have preferred this or preferred that, or I, the air conditioning was a little cold this morning or a little whatever. The parking wasn't so good this morning. And it's easy to do because that is the way the world operates, and so we talked about, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about moving away from a consumer mentality and creating a culture of mission at Preston Crest, where we are about God's mission. We are looking to serve. We're looking to minister. We're looking to, to glorify the name of Jesus and, and not have all of our checklist of preferences checked off here as we come together. And, and that's going to be important as we move forward if we're going to let Jesus dream through us, if we're going to let Jesus work through us. Because I believe, and this is on your outline, I believe that Preston Crest, like every congregation in the body of Christ, every, every church that follows Jesus, I believe we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We are to continue the ministry of our Lord. And the first thing is this, I put on your outline. This is very simple, and this is really everything that we're about right here. Number one is this. The Lord wants to shape us into a community formed into the image of Jesus. Not into the image of Donald Trump. Not into the image of Lady Gaga. Not into the image of Deion Sanders. Formed into the image of Jesus, a Christ 
formed church, a Christ-formed people. And so I, I put on here to be a transformational church where people of all ages become God-worshiping, self-emptying, spirit-powered reflections of the resurrected Lord. Now, that, that doesn't mean we're all going to become little clones of our, each other exactly like we have different personalities, we have different talents, we have different this, we have different that, we have different experiences in life, Right? But that Jesus will be shaped in each one of us so that he can use, and use my personality, so that he can use your personality, so that he can use my gifts, so that he can use your gifts, so that he can use the opportunities I have, so that he can use the opportunities that you have. You're going to be unique, right? But what's going to pull us together is Christ. And so we want to create a community where people grow into the image of Jesus. My favorite verse in the Bible, all right, is John chapter 3, verse 30. My favorite verse in the Bible. This is, and by the way, this is not the Apostle John speaking. This is John the Baptist speaking. John the Baptist, who we remember ended up losing his life because of Jesus, had to surrender everything to serve Jesus as, as he was killed by Herod. John the Baptist says this, that he may become, that he, Jesus, may become greater, I must become less. I love that verse. Probably because I'm not very good at that verse. Probably because that verse, every time I read it, challenges me. Jesus greater. Gordon, less, less, less. Paul puts it like this in Philippians 1, verse 21. The Apostle Paul says, For me, to live is... Do you remember this verse? To live is Christ. To die is gain. For me, to live is Christ. So a church that transforms children from the cradle roll all the way up to senior adults, transforms attitudes, transforms beliefs, transforms hearts, transforms lifestyles into the image of Jesus. So there's a whole lot of praying, a whole lot of dreaming, a whole lot of planning that needs to go just around that. You know, as we think about our community life here, as we, as we think about creating this culture where people are not consumers, but people are Christians shaped in the image of Jesus, it's going to affect our dreams about the children's ministry, our dreams about our worship, our dreams about, about our service. Everything is going to be affected by that. So I think that's so important that we say, hey, Image of Christ, image of Christ, a culture where that is cultivated in people, and that is very opposed. This more of Jesus, less of me is very opposed to the culture that we live in. Number two, the Lord wants us to be missionaries, missionaries, sharing his message and ministry with our Metroplex neighbors and beyond. And so, the, kind of the action statement here, we will nurture a missionary culture at Preston Crest where relationships, worship, ministries, activities draw us deep into the mission of God. There is no group of people in the New Testament anywhere called missionaries because they were all missionaries. If you were a follower of Jesus Christ, you were a missionary. That just means you were on the mission of God. 
right? There were no, this group is going to do his mission. This other group, now they're just going to kind of hang out in the building on Sundays, right? I mean, it was about being in the mission of God. So again, what if we create this atmosphere here where we are about the mission, right? We're about the mission. And let me tell you, I just see stuff every week that convinces me um, about Preston Crest uniquely and, and other kingdom people here in the Metroplex area that God has placed us at a very special place. A very special place. Buddy Barnes sent me a link, a link this week about, about a building project, okay? Um, you guys know Valley View Mall, like 200 yards up the street. Valley View Mall, it's kind of a big zero. It's gone downhill. It's not real active anymore. The stores are leaving. Well, it just got purchased. Um, the property did. And, and the, the Beck Ventures Group is going to invest $2 billion, with a B, $2 billion in creating Midtown Dallas right here. Condos, apartments, restaurants, office space, $2 billion. And I'm thinking, you know, if Jerry Jones was able to build Cowboy Stadium with $1 billion, imagine, I don't even know what $2 billion is going to look like over there. But this is going to be the heart of the city, right? I mean, or one of the hearts of the city. And this city... Last census that was done, you know, they're looking at, at, at population trends. Where are people living? Where are people leaving? Where are people moving to? Well, you go to Detroit, you may have trouble finding anybody these days. They're leaving Detroit, but they're coming here. Fourth largest urban center in America. Dal um, Houston used to always be in front of us on these lists, but take that, Houston. They're number five. We're bigger than Houston now. You've got New York, L.A., Chicago, Dallas, the Metroplex. And of all of the top, I think it's the top 23 population centers in America, the population center that is growing the fastest, according to the Census Bureau, you guessed it, so I'm just saying, guys, as we talk about the mission of God, as we dream about the future, we've got to consider that. We've got to consider how incredibly important this time is and how incredibly important this place is. Right? You with me? Does that make sense? Dallas needs missionaries. Dallas needs you to carry the gospel out into the city. Tremendous implications for us all the stuff that's going on around us. Tremendous opportunities to make an impact in our own backyard right here. All right, so we need to dream about what, what that looks like to minister in the Metroplex community. Um, what do divorced people need? What do the singles need? What do children in the Metroplex need? What do our public schools in the Metroplex need? What do the poor need? What do, what, do, what do all these immigrants that are coming from the four corners of the earth to our city, what do they need? And that inspires dreams, right? And next Sunday, by the way, May the 6th, show up with your dreams, all right? Have your bags packed with dreams next Sunday because we're going to put some of those on paper. We're going to put some of those on, on the Internet, whatever. We're going we're gonna to feed hundreds and hundreds of dreams into this process, um, ideas, um, things that have touched you that you thought, I wonder if we could do this, or I wonder if we joined this, or I wonder if we supported this. I wonder if we volunteered at this place. Bring that. Bring that next week on, on May the 6th. Now, 
to Matthew 14. I love Matthew 14. It is, um, among other things, it has the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Um, important story. Colossal miracle, obviously. Um, amazing miracle, but also um, important symbolically. I mean, John is going to tell us at the end of this miracle after Jesus feeds 5,000 that Jesus is the bread of life right? He is the food that the world needs, right? Um, it's, it, it's important. All four Gospels record this miracle. They don't record many of the same miracles. This one gets play in all four. Jesus wants to tell us something, and I think this Gospel, I mean, I think this story in Matthew 14 shows us what it would look like if Jesus were to shape our dreams, if Jesus were to dream through us. So, so let's look at it with those eyes this morning. In Matthew chapter 14, I'm just going to read it through first, the story, and, and try to visualize this. I mean, these were real people. These were real loaves, real fishes, a real Jesus. This event happened, all right? So try to visualize this. When Jesus heard what had happened, by the way, this is what had happened was John the Baptist, the one who said, he must become greater, I must become less, he had had his head removed from his body. Um, it was the cousin of Jesus. It was obviously a close friend of Jesus, and it was a troubling moment for him. When, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by the boat, by boat privately to a solitary place, wanted to get, get alone for a while. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have five loaves, right, and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven. He gave thanks. He broke the loaves. He gave them out to the disciples. The disciples then gave them to the people. They all ate, and they were satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate that day was about 5,000, not counting women, not counting children. Thousands of people fed by that little offering of, of food. So as the, as the narrative begins, Jesus wants to get alone. He wants to spend a little alone time with God, a little alone time with his inner group, the apostles. But the crowds won't let that happen. They have needs. They believe Jesus can meet their needs. So they follow him. When he arrives, there they are. Now I'm thinking, if I'm on the boat with Jesus, I'm thinking, this is a problem we need to solve. Quick, everybody back on the boat. Let's go to the other side of the lake. So much for our, for our alone time, so much for our retreat. The crowds followed us. we got to get away. Jesus saw it as another ministry opportunity. And he wanted his people to see that that way as well. Jesus wasn't, and I, I think this is what people love about Jesus. I think this is why Jesus isn't going away. People are drawn to Jesus because of the way he cares for people, because of the way he's affected by the needs of people. And so as we think about what would it look like for Jesus to shape our dreams, well, 
One thing that's going to mean is, is our dreams will be shaped by the compassion of Jesus, by the concern of Jesus. First thing I want you to write down there under what would it look like for Jesus to shape our dreams is concern. Concern. Jesus was concerned when he saw the people's needs. He saw hunger. He saw sickness. He wanted to help folks with their real, real problems. I mean, physical problems, physical issues. Um, scripture here. Let's, look, let's throw verse 14 up on the screen. And, and would you read this with me? Let's read this out loud together. Verse 14 here. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Let's do that again. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, I've told you about this cool little Greek word there, compassion, before. Splink needs a my. The Greek word means a feeling for others that comes from your guts. When Jesus saw these crowds, when Jesus saw these needs, he was moved in his guts to do something about it. I mean, Jesus cared about other people. He is a model of compassion wherever he goes. If he's going to shape our dreams, our dreams are going to be shaped by this, by this concern for others. And one thing in verse 14, it says that Jesus saw the crowds. And, and I, I don't know if there's any hidden theological meaning here. I, I don't know if there's any secret point here. But, but I wonder when I see that, Jesus saw the crowds. I wonder if we see the crowds. I wonder, let, me, let me just point the finger at myself. I wonder if I see the crowds. I wonder if I see the souls out there. He saw people. If Jesus went to Kroger, right, he didn't just see a clerk who was going to take his money or his credit card and swipe it. He saw a person, a human being, with some struggles. I mean, maybe separated from his wife. Maybe has a rebellious child that he, he just can't figure out how to help this child. Maybe um, can't pay the bills each month. I, you know, I don't know. Maybe his, his, his mother is very, very sick, terminally ill. Jesus saw people. Jesus learned their names. Jesus looked to comfort, looked to meet needs. Jesus saw people. If we're going to be his church, we have to see people as well. But Jesus didn't just see people. Jesus got involved. This is the second C there on your list this morning is contact. It's contact. He saw people and he touched them. He saw people and he healed them. He saw people and he fed them. Jesus got personally involved in the messiness of the world rather than like outsourcing his ministry to others. I mean, he could have just pulled the 12 together, others, and said, okay, I'm going to put my hands on you. You all have supernatural gifts of the Spirit now. Go out and do my work. I'll be like here at headquarters, right? I mean, Jesus got out there, and Jesus modeled this lifestyle of interacting with others. And, I, I, man, I see a lot of that at Preston Crest, and I just I applaud it. I mean, we're not here to get glory for ourselves, but I applaud it when I see God's people doing these things. And so there are these creative kind of grassroots ministries that have already started here. I mean, I think out of the singles group came this, um, 
cover Dallas with love and, you know, we, we bring our old coats and our old blankets and we donate them in the wintertime here every year. Now it's a tradition. And then different people at this church will take those coats and gloves and shoes and put them in their trunk or put them in their car and they go around the city trying to see people. Who looks like they might need a coat? Who looks like they might need a blanket? Who looks like they don't have a home? Winter's going to be tough, and, and they, they meet those needs. Or I think of friend speak who saw this need of, of all of these international people in our community that, that want to learn English but don't speak English. And so every Wednesday night, every Sunday night, and I'm sure other times in between, many of our members meet with those people and meet a need. Help them practice their English and share the gospel at the same time. So many needs, so many needs. Soldier cares like that too. I just think of the contact that, that, that's part of so many of our ministries here. Jesus got involved with people. I'll confess, I think a lot of times more like the disciples in the story. The disciples aren't particularly heroic in this story, are they? Um, Jesus saw ministry potential. Jesus saw um, needs that needed to be met. Jesus was moved by compassion. His inner circle, his apostles, um, they didn't quite see it that way. They saw a problem, but it wasn't their problem. Verse 15. Here's their approach. And I, I can just imagine my voice joined with these voices. Their approach was this. Send the crowds away. They can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Not our problem. Send them away. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. You get involved. This need is your ministry. This need is your calling. This need is your mission. Get involved. And I think our natural ten tendency is to think, well, I, I don't have the time. I don't have the talents. I don't have the money. This person would be better than me. This and we focus on our limitations. But in this story, Jesus invites us to give him what we have, and he'll take care of the rest. Verse 17, the disciples say, we have only five loaves and two fish. They're focused on their limitation. They're focused on what they can't do in their own minds. Jesus goes, by the way, like a, I'll just stand over. This is my detour spot here. I'm going into a detour. I read a story like this, and to me, this totally validates the New Testament. I know people are like, oh, that stuff was made up. I mean, a miracle story like this, feeding 5,000 with, with essentially a Long John Silver's value meal, that didn't happen, right? I'm like, well, I find it incredibly compelling that the very people who, who wrote these stories down, who recorded these stories, portrayed themselves in incredibly unflattering ways. I mean, if you're making this story up, you're heroic. You know, if I'm Matthew and I'm writing this down, I saw those loaves and fishes and I took them to the Lord and I said, Lord, multiply these so that people will be fed. No, in this story, they're like, send everybody away. In this story, they're, they're basically kind of like whiners. They're faith midgets and they're whiners. Send the people away. We don't have enough food. And you're telling me these guys are the ones who wrote these stories, these early church leaders made this stuff up? Yeah, I don't think so. I think the event happened, and I think they're just telling you, boy, we didn't believe it, and 
we weren't real happy, and, and all of a sudden, Jesus did this amazing miracle, and everything turned. So this is it, um, turning us back to the, the power of God. The next C on the list is confidence. If Jesus is going to shape our dreams, we have to be shaped by a confidence, a faith, a trust in his power, in his ability to solve our limitations. Jesus calls us to focus on what we have to offer instead of on our perceived limitations. In the story, even though there are thousands and thousands of people and five loaves of bread and a couple of fish, God multiplies and feeds everybody and there are leftovers. Don't know if they had Tupperware in the first century, but they needed some because there were a lot of leftovers after this miracle. Jesus will use what we are willing to surrender, right? He can't use what, we, what we're holding on to. But when we say, yes, Lord, take this, I don't think I have enough to fix this problem. I don't think I have enough to make a huge difference here. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you what I have. And I'm going to trust that you can do amazing things with that. Um, and so he multiplies the food that's offered, that's given over to him, and he feeds the hungry. And this brings us to the next part. I mean, I think Jesus could have done all this by himself. I mean, I think Jesus could have, bam, here's the dinner. Got it all laid out buffet style. Everybody help yourselves. But he doesn't do it all by himself. By himself. He wants partners. Where you see Jesus going around ministering, Jesus loved to ministry, to do ministry in a team. He loved to, to cooperate. He loved to involve others in his ministry. I mean, I'm thinking he's all powerful. You know, he could have taken care of things solo, right? But that's not the way he operates. And so if he's going to shape our dreams, we also need to look for dreams that get us into partnership with each other, that get us into partnership with other kingdom people around the Metroplex to join in the cause of Christ. Cooperation, that's the next C on the list. Jesus invited and welcomed the participation of others in his ministry. Not to say that you can't serve Jesus on your own. I mean, sometimes you're all alone. There's somebody who has a need, and you just you need to meet it, right? Not to say that you don't do that. But we look as we dream together about ways that we can work together. Ways that, Because there's something beautiful when the body of Christ is working together. When you've got the older person and the younger person, when you've got these two people that look like they don't go together, but they do because they're part of the body of Christ, and they are doing the Lord's work together, that is a beautiful testimony of the power of God. And so Jesus invites us into these places where we're working together. And I probably could have said that better. It's just the idea, Jesus wanted to involve others, and if we're looking for... Um, for him to shape our dreams, we're going to look for opportunities to do that as well. Final point here, um, last C, is conviction. We minister, we dream from places of conviction. Jesus believed that a little offered in faith becomes much when placed in God's hands. Jesus believed he could take that small lunch and he could give thanks and he could pray and that God would do something. And as disciples of the resurrected Lord, that's what we believe right? We aren't just the United Way. I mean, I love the, a lot of the work they do. We're not just uh, some philanthropic institution. Yes, there's a human element here. Yes, we have our weaknesses. Yes, we, we sometimes create issues and we have conflict and stuff like that. But we believe in faith. We are convicted that the power of God is at work in us. 
We believe that as we join our resources with God's work, that he can multiply, that he can make miraculous things happen. This is not a human institution. There are humans in this institution, but this is the body of Christ. The body that was killed, the body that was resurrected by the power of God, we have now become the hands and feet of Jesus. His resurrection power is at work in us. So when the disciples scraped together the little bit they had and offered it, God multiplied it. Now this is a detail in the story that's just a little too coincidental to... to, to be accidental. I I think there was a plan here. Did you notice at the end of the story how many basketfuls of leftovers were left over? Anyone want to help me with this? Twelve. Hmm. Twelve basketfuls of leftovers. Twelve apostles. So they begin the story, Jesus Send them to the supermarket. Send them to the villages. We don't have enough food. And Jesus is like, give me what you have. Well, it's not very much. Here it is. And at the end of the story, each one of those apostles is holding this basket of leftover fish, leftover bread. Jesus was making a point. Guys, this is not up to you. God wants to work through you. Don't determine the results um, by your lack of faith. Don't limit what God can do. But join in His work. Final thought this morning. Um, we've, a lot of great things have happened at Preston Crest. We've, we celebrated 40 years as a church earlier this year. Um, and just... Lots and lots of souls have come to know Jesus. Lots and lots of good work has been done here in our community and around the world. Praise God for that. He has become greater. His name has become greater through those works. But I think he's only getting warmed up. I think God has much, much more left to do here. And I think he's inviting us right now to be part of that. And that's what dream power is about. And so I I pray as a church that that, that that just becomes a theme of who we are, that he becomes greater, that we become less, that Jesus is magnified, that we empty ourselves and we turn all of the glory and credit to him. As one of the scriptures in the New Testament says, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. That's the idea, right? So this week... Um, as we prepare for next Sunday, May 6th, our big dreaming Sunday, um, I'm even going to preach a little shorter. Miracles do happen today, don't you? They still happen. I'm going to preach a little shorter next week so we have more time in our connections groups to dream together. And so what I want you to do, we want to prepare ourselves. We want to prepare ourselves as a church family this week. Um, And what I mean by that is we want to do what we need to do to make sure this is a spirit-driven idea, 
that Jesus is Lord of this, that this is about him, that this is about his mission. And so I'm, I'm going to fast tomorrow, Monday. I'm, just, I'm not going to eat tomorrow, and I'm going to be praying for you guys. I'm going to be praying for this Dream Power thing. I would invite you to join me if you can. Um, if you can't, um, maybe pick another day, or maybe, maybe think of something creative like, you know, this week, I'm not going to eat lunch. I'm going to use that time when I would normally go out with friends or, or sit down with my little sack of lunch and eat that. that instead of doing that, I'm, I'm just going to pray during my lunch hour this week. But, but let's find ways this week to get on our knees and humble ourselves and say, God, make this yours, Father. We enter into this dream power thing. There are no preconceived notions. Um, there is no, um, there's no list of priorities that's already been figured out in some back room, and we're just going to try to get... I mean, we... We're going to see what God has for us. It's open, and we're going to see what God has, and we're going to invite him to inspire us and to shape us as we dream together. I'm excited about it. I really am.